listening to Scoreline Extra, the podcast that has some of the biggest interviews from KCLR's weekend of sport. As usual, Scoreline Time brought you a wide range of sporting coverage in the past week over rugby, football, soccer, hurling and much more. Later on, you're going to hear from New Carlo football captain Avian Gilmartin, Dr Una May from Sport Ireland, former Kilkenny City player Billy Walsh and Greg Ballycallan chairman Dave O'Neill. First up though, we catch up with James Blanchfield from Kilkenny Rugby Club who was on the show on Saturday to discuss former club player Tim Corkery making his debut on the Leinster senior rugby side in the Pro 14 the night before. Delighted to be joined on the line from Kilkenny Rugby Club, Mr. James Blanchfield. James, thanks very much for joining us. You're welcome, Shane. How are things? Not too bad, sir. Not too bad. I suppose everybody out at Kilkenny Rugby Club was uh, watching on with a smile on their face and uh, a lot of pride in their heart seeing Tim line out for Leinster last night. I most certainly were. Um, it's it's credit to Tim, really. You know, it's it's everything that he's achieved is down to his own hard work. Um, but yeah, for for for, for the Kilkenny rugby community, it was um, it was great to see to see a local young fella there that has come through. I suppose, so to speak, every age group with the club. You know, I mean, he's played he he played from under eight the whole way through to under eighteen, and I think in his last season with us, he might have gotten a game or two with our first fifteen in the in the Towns Cup. So. Look, an incredible achievement for the young fellow. We're, we're all absolutely delighted for him. Yeah, well, like I was listening to the rugby podcast that we had, the knock on, and we were talking about the the knock on effect of the likes of Sean O'Brien out in Tullow and Ed Byrne in Carlow and stuff. Uh, it, it, it's great for the people that are coming through the club now, or anybody that's interested in in get involved in rugby from a young age to see that there's this path there that can lead to likes of a senior call-up or getting capped for Ireland. I know he has three caps with uh, Ireland under 20 and he's currently playing his rugby with UCD, but it's, it, it's just great for the future of all clubs to see somebody being able to make that transition up as well. Definitely, definitely. Look, and we all know the old stories we all hear it, that you know, you had to come through the school system to get into the Leinster system and subsequently then to get into the Irish system. That, in credit to Leinster, they've really changed over the last 10 years how they go about doing things. And they, they've made they've made an objective, of, I suppose, of spreading their wings into into the provincial clubs, the Kenny's, the Tullows, the Carlos. You know, really, really the southeast clubs seem to be the clubs that are really getting a big return out, which you can see with Carlo, uh, uh, Tullow with Charlie Ward there. So all of these young fellas are getting, are, are getting the exposure that they deserve. But... That also kind of goes back down to, to coaching as well and kind of the development of coaches within clubs by Leinster Rugby to ensure that these young fellas are getting the, the, the best possible coaching they can get from the very, very beginning. And we're very lucky in Kilkenny that we have an awful lot of coaches who want to grow and who want to develop. And like Tim, they're sponges. They take on the information they've been given and, and, and really use that information to benefit everybody, you know, so... Um, but it's brilliant, and yeah, it does goes go, goes to show that there is there, there is a pathway there to get up into Leinster rugby and get beyond there. And when you're there, it, 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 it's it's incredible for young fellas to actually see it. But it's, as you said, Shane, it's also incredible for all of the other young fellas in the club and all the other young people who want to start playing rugby, boys and girls, that there is a pathway there. You know, and I suppose it probably puts a little bit of a, I would say, hero status as well for them all that young fellas could be running around the club thinking that they're, they're going to be the next Tim Corkery, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know back in my days, I, I would have liked to think that it could have been the next Tim Corkery, but I'm sure that there's people coming through the ranks um, 
they're that kind of you know they have the feeling that it is a tangible thing that they can they can strive towards uh, we were talking to Noel Devlin there uh, only a few weeks ago and it, it, it's very evident to see that as you mentioned that the focus is coming on a lot of these uh, uh, different teams down particularly around the southeast area and it's it's, yeah. it's very good to see yeah, well, you mentioned Noel there. Like, I mean, Noel doesn't kind of work for the club around the schools. Like, I mean, he's he's early with CCRO, so that means he's going around to kind of the primary schools and and I suppose to try and to try and get rugby into shall we say the non-traditional parts of Kilkenny. So we've like we have a strong catchment area around the city, but Noel is bringing rugby to, to I suppose the skirts of the county as well, and we're getting rewards for that. So Noel deserves incredible kudos for that. One of the the areas where we feel that we probably need to work is to get rugby into more secondary schools. At the moment, it's just really Callan CBS and Loretto. And we're, we're putting in a lot of work and a lot of endeavour to try and get it into other schools as well. Uh, we're probably one of the only counties in Leinster, if not the country, that has no, I suppose, public secondary school playing competitive rugby. So that's something we need to try and improve. And in credit to Noel and in credit to the rest of our committee, we're working hard at that. But yeah, it's just look at it, 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 it's credit to everybody, really. Yeah, I remember back when I was in Cairns, we're talking nearly 20 years ago now. What was that, 20 years ago? 15 years ago, maybe. I'll be kind to myself. And there was the talk of a rugby team coming. Same with, uh, I believe, the CBS. There was talk, and we were out, we were actually doing PE. We were, we were playing rugby in PE, and we had certain uh, classes. It, it, it's just, it's strange to see that it didn't kick on from there, but it's nice to see now that there's there's more emphasis in being able to get in rugby into the schools. Well, that's look. That's the objective. I mean, look, this, this isn't a part of political broadcast on behalf of Kenny Ruby or anything, but <laughs> it's something that we want to do, and it, it is an agenda and objective for the clubs to try and push that on. I was in Kieran's as well, and look, uh, we nearly had a rugby team at the time, but for whatever reason, that didn't transpire. Um, but look, you can only work with what you have at the, at the time, but it definitely is an objective for us. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, in, in terms of objectives, then, what what's the directives happening from a from a local perspective for to get us back out onto a field or to be, for us to be able to cover some um, local rugby? I suppose you're just yeah. waiting with the rest of the country, but I'm sure that there's work being done behind the scenes as well. Well, there is, and in credit in credit to, to, to Leinster rugby and Irish rugby, they're pushing hard to try and get answers to see where we stand. We find ourselves in an unfortunate situation, no different to any other sport, where it's a moving target, it's a moving goalpost. And to, to be honest, I mean, the general, the general consensus is that adult rugby is probably going to be knocked on the head for this year. That kind of probably means the objective is to try and get some of the underage boys and girls back out at least training and just, just kind of play, playing games amongst themselves in the club. And if we can get that, it will be a good return for us, you know. Um, it's unfortunate that we, that, that we can't get some adult rugby going because we genuinely felt we had a strong chance this year with um, with our J1s and with our J2s. There was, they, they, they both won the South East League there back earlier on or in around um, September, October. Yeah. And uh, we felt we felt that, that was great to bring board. We won our first Leinster League match against Ashburn and then suddenly everything just came to a stop again. So look at it, it's unfortunate. It's hard for players, it's hard for parents, it's hard for coaches. It's hard for everybody, but it's all we can just do is roll with the punches and just wait and see what happens over the next few weeks and months. Yes, yeah, sir. And like because of the great year, he actually won our uh, 2020 Club of the Year as well here at KCLR. You're up against yeah. some stiff competitions, but I suppose that, that that must have been a bit of a nice thing as well. 
it actually was. Look, it was a lovely little way just to close out the year, to bookend the year for us. As I said to Eddie at the time, we we don't we don't do what we do out Town around the county to win to win awards. We do what we do just to give to continue rugby and give the best platform we can. And uh, look, it was great to win it, and thanks to everyone who voted for us. Yeah, and thanks to David Buggies as well for sponsoring it. Uh, also, um, I remember back in the day, like when we'd have these big competitions come on certainly when a World Cup in soccer come on you'd have lads out playing soccer out in the street or when Wimbledon everyone have their tennis rackets out with the likes of the Six Nations ending like in October and then you had the Autumn's League and then now you have the Six Nations again it must be kind of frustrating for for a lot of the youngsters who want to get out because they're seeing it they want to do it you know what I mean? Yeah I'm sure I'm sure it is I can't speak for them but it's all I can hear is the frustration from, from parents who want their kids and from coaches who want to get back out training and um, it, it, it must be frustrating but in saying that 20 years ago it would have been difficult to see a young fellow walking around or a girl walking around the city with a, with a rugby ball you can see it happening more frequently now as well so it is a game where the popularity of it is raising um, and um, I suppose seeing more of it on telly will just continue to raise, uh, raise its popularity around, around the city and county. Yeah, people are going to be raring to go. Indeed, um, indeed. Unfortunate news as well over the, the, in March in regards to the passing of Gary Halpin. When we were talking to Noel, there was a great positivity around him coming in and helping with the coach and helping with the with, with the club. But uh, just incredibly unfortunate and terribly sad news. Yeah, very sad news. Um, I suppose Gary Gary is a hero of Irish rugby. Um, he was he was involved with us probably since back, back with us since he returned to Liberty Kenny from the UK and he was working as a teacher in um, uh, Thurston College in Rockwell or Ross Gray and he was back involved with us for the last couple of years I think he would have been going into his third season and you know he was an infectious sort of guy I didn't know him very well but the couple of conversations that I did did have with him you always knew he was listening you always knew he was interested he loved rugby he loved sport he loved being out and around with people and uh, Look, it's, it's a tragic loss, uh, primarily for his family and on behalf of the club. We'd like to pass the sympathies to the entire Halpin family. They have been synonymous with rugby and Kilkenny for, for generations through his father, Tom, and through Gary and the rest of the family. And look, it's just a horrible situation for, for any family to go through so suddenly. Um, and yet we pass our sympathies to everybody. I certainly do. Uh, it was a, it wasn't a nice bit of news to wake up to anyway. I can assure you. No, um, definitely not. But but Gary, will we can look ahead now, hopefully to a bright future and the foundations that Gary helped lay in terms of rugby for people in Kilkenny and uh, certainly Tim Corkery going on and hopefully laying more foundations for the advent and a burst of popularity in rugby in Kilkenny. There's lots to look forward to in the future. Ah, there certainly is, you know, and. There certainly is for everybody to look forward to in terms of rugby. Even like, even though we're not playing, our coaches are using this time to actually do some continuous improvement. And Vinny O'Shea, our club secretary, is very proactive in arranging kind of webinars and coaching sessions for coaches. So we're bringing in experts, external coaches like Noel McNamara, the, the Irish under-20s coach, took a, took a tutorial with, with all of our underage coaches a few weeks ago. Joe Layden, who works, works with the RFU, he was part of... Um, 2005 World Cup winning uh, coaching set up he's taken a tutorial in a few weeks time you know so all that kind of stuff has been in place so we're we're, we're, we're not resting on our laurels at the moment we're using this time just to continue to continuously improve our testing room development has started unfortunately it's been po- it, it, it's been shelved because of um 
with current restrictions. So that started. So there's two new dressing rooms and a gym, gymnasium area we built out in the club. We have plans afoot for further development out there. Fingers crossed our application has gone in for the uh, sports capital grant. So fingers crossed we can get a few more about it at and try and try and develop the club a little bit more, you know, because we are the only rugby club in County Kilkenny. We're catering for the entire population and uh, we want to see more people taking part and we want to give them the facility to take part. So the only way we can do that is continually develop as well. So there's a lot of great work being done out there by brilliant people. And uh, fingers crossed we can we can get back playing a bit of ball, a bit of hurling, a bit of soccer and uh, bring a little bit more positivity to the locality. Exactly. It'll give me something to cover uh, as well from a local perspective on a sports show. But... I'm going to press you now, uh, James, just before you go. We have a big game in Murrayfield tomorrow. We have Scotland versus Ireland. Are Scotland going to be a bit more fresh after the postponement of the French game? and uh, Or are they going to be a bit rustier? And Ireland going to be the it's, ones that are hitting the ground running? It's hard to know. Um, it's hard to know. Ireland are probably in a little bit of a how would I say a state of flux at the moment? You don't know. You don't know. One day they could do something exceptional. The next day they could be, they could be absolutely terrible. Um, Andy Farrell is definitely trying to, should I say, introduce a new game plan, a new system of playing, a new attacking system. It's hard to see for me personally what they are trying to do. It, there was a lot of fanfare after the Italy game, but realistically, you can see what Wales are doing to Italy at the moment. Italy are. They're the whipping boys in the group, so it's easy to think you're great guys after after giving them a flogging. Scotland is going to be a tough game. They are. They have Finn Russell, they have Stuart Hogg, they have some incredible rugby players in their team. It's going to be a challenge. I think Ireland will just about get there, but they need they need the full 22 to be on the tomorrow. Um, and uh, yeah, look, at, I think, if you were to put me on the spot, I'd be calling Ireland by two or three. Lovely. I love to hear. Well, James, thanks very much for taking the time today for talking to us here on Scoreline. I'm sure we'll be catching up uh, again maybe when Tim gets another game in the Leinster jersey or when we inevitably get the return of rugby and all sports here in Kilkenny and Carlo. James, thanks very much, sir. Thanks. Thanks very much, Shane. Thanks for your support. Next up is new Carlo Ladies football team captain Avine Gilmartin. Gilmartin is about to embark on her fifth season with the senior side despite being only 21 years old. The old Lachlan Club... The old Lachlan club woman is relishing the opportunity to lead her county for the upcoming league and championship campaigns. Here's what happened on Scoreline. Well, we're going to divert our attention to Ladies Gaelic Football and the new captain of Carlo Ladies Gaelic Football. I'm joined and delighted to be joined on the line by Avian Gilmartin. Avian, thanks very much for joining us here on Sunday. Uh, no problem. Thanks very much for having me. Hopefully you're keeping well, I suppose. You're obviously keeping well after being named. It came out during the week as the new Carlo captain. Um, yeah, that was announced there earlier in the week. Um, Mark Keating asked me at the start of the season. Um, I suppose we had thought originally that we'd be back on the pitch at this stage but um, that didn't happen so okay, For someone that's you know you've been involved in the county panel now for about five years yeah, I think you were only 16 when you first came to be named the captain at such a young age then that must be a, a particular point of uh, pride in your heart um, Yeah well I suppose we have a quite a young team um, and Anne Roach was the captain last year and she would have been the same age so she laid down a great um, framework in that respect Um but yeah, no, I was delighted and honoured to um, be named captain at such a young age, but it is quite a big responsibility, so 
um, I'm hoping I can live up to the expectations and um, of the role. I'm sure you will, and I'm sure that there's going to be a few aims and kind of uh, milestones that you'll be looking to hit. You mentioned Mark there. Has there been discussion on what the aim for the season will be now when you come in? I suppose winning the Junior All-Ireland is the the dream for everybody involved. Um, yeah, the Junior All-Ireland is obviously um, the number one aim, but we also have um, big sights set on the Division 4 League. Um, the last few years we've been extremely unlucky, just missing out on point difference. Um, two years in a row actually um, to make the semi-final so I suppose that we know that we are kind of at the level of a lot of the teams in the Division 4 category and um, so that would be a big game of ours for the coming season as well and speaking of, say, last season, and we'll go to a club level, obviously O'Loughlin are the current county champions and then you had a game against Tinnahili come up and uh, unfortunately that didn't seem to go ahead. Is there any any talk about what's happening there? Has anything been said to you or is, or, or, is that been pushed to the side now and it's focusing on the next season? Um, yeah, well, our Leinster final was originally rescheduled for January and then the lockdown obviously happened again um, and then it was rescheduled again for May 29th, I think. But um, as of now, there's no certainty at all regarding whether that will be played in May or even at all. Um, I guess we're hoping that when the football action is allowed back that they will be able to squeeze it in maybe even before the county season recommences but um, it could be wishful thinking at this stage to think it might ever get played but hopefully because it's not often you make an intermediate Leinster final so we would love the chance to play it. Yeah, we were talking to Anne Roach, uh, who you mentioned there in October, uh, just before the semi-final, and we kind of played a clip back from when uh, O'Loughlin became county champions, and it's it, stuff like that is making us, you know, I, I was listening to it just before we came on air, and it was stuff like that that makes us want to be, kind of have this local and live sport back, and there'd be no better way to do it than, as you said, the intermediate final against Tinnahili. Yeah, no, definitely. Um we would absolutely love the chance to get to play it and the club action over the last few years has just been absolutely brilliant um, in terms of, um, I suppose we had success at junior level and then when we went on to intermediate we were quite surprised um, this season that we were, um, that we even, I suppose, were at the level um, immediately but um, we were delighted and we were, we are still hoping that we will get the chance to um, finish out the 2020 season but as I said, it'll all kind of depend on lockdown and whatever the LGFA decide to do with the remaining fixtures from 2020. So, And as, so, as someone like yourself who's playing at club level, you're playing at county level, you're in college with UCD, so you're obviously playing there, you're volunteering as a coach at your club. How much have you missed Gaelic football this year? Particularly, like, you must truly love it considering how involved you are and how much time you would dedicate to, to it. Um, yeah, no, I've... I'm really missing it, I suppose, especially at the moment because kind of coming into the summer months, um, you'd love to be out training with the group rather than um, training by yourself on a pitch and just trying to keep up your fitness and um, ball work by yourself. It just isn't the same as doing it with your teammates and being able to go out and play the league matches and that sort of thing. Um, but I guess we were lucky that in the second lockdown we were allowed to continue. So um, after the first lockdown last year, we did get a good six months of um, football which was compared to a lot of people um, in their other sports we were much luckier in that way um, so I suppose it's just been the last few months now that have been the kind of biggest challenge but 
um, I do think that we will get back out on the pitch um, in the next few months. So I suppose that's enough motivation to um, keep going and to have something to look forward to in that way. Well, with, with that in mind, then, like the much has been said about uh, GEA players losing their elite status as inter-county players. Was that we, we we've seen two sides of the coin to that with various people that we've interviewed. Uh, uh, obviously, there's an understanding in, in regards to that certain things can't go ahead but there seems to be a bit of an annoyance uh, in some sectors of losing that elite status as inter-county players obviously it's a disappointment but is there an understanding from the people on the uh, on the Carlo team or from the the people in your club in general that are playing on the county team um yeah i guess there is an understanding that i mean the government just had to respond to um the way the situation deteriorated after christmas and Unfortunately, we did miss out and lost the elite status, which we weren't expecting since we were afforded it in the second lockdown. But, um, I mean, these decisions are made for a reason, so we just kind of have to respect that and work with whatever the government decision is. And hopefully in the next month or so, as things get better, um, they will readjust the decision and even allow the inter-county action to go ahead. But, um, yeah, as I said, it just... Um, everyone's losing out, I suppose, with COVID-19, so um, we just have to deal with that and adjust. So with that in mind, of you being captain now, is there added responsibility, said to keep the team motivated during these times? Like, I'm sure, as every club has or every team has, there's WhatsApp groups and stuff, or, or you find yourself constantly having to be writing in and saying... Like maybe you're part of a Strava group where people have to do 5Ks and stuff like that. Is there an added responsibility on you as captain now to help uh, motivate your team and to help keep people going during this time? Because there's going to be a certain level of fitness that needs to be kept up to go back into the inter-county scene. It might come all slap of a bang at once and before you know it, you're back out on the field. So is there an obligation on you to, as the captain to help keep your teammates um, motivated? Um, I wouldn't say there's an, um, a special responsibility on me. Um, I feel like the team is quite motivated individually individually, and that we all kind of bounce off each other in that way. Um, we have small little groups set up, um, kind of groups of three and four, just kind of a system to kind of keep each other motivated, um, which has worked great so far. Um, it kind of allows us to talk to each other, not in the big group chat and just to kind of motivate each other because we see what other people are doing. But no, I wouldn't specifically say the obligation falls on me because I feel like um, everyone is working as hard as they can um, on their own. And I suppose that's all we can do. And as a captain, though, is there a particular onus that is going to be put on you first types of responsibility maybe obviously as a captain there's the leadership qualities that need to be taken into a factor before you announce someone as a captain do you find that there's going to be a particular route that you're going down because if you're involved in coaching you're going to have to keep people motivated and do you find the uh, there is added responsibility because obviously we haven't got to that stage where you're out in the field and you are captaining the side but do you find that there will be added responsibility coming up when you're out in the pitch um, yeah, I suppose the main responsibility is to kind of um, to facilitate the communication between the management team and then the players. Um, and I suppose in that respect, you just have to make sure that everyone is comfortable in approaching you and um, the same way that the management are comfortable and think that they can come to you if there's a problem or an issue that 
um, you then could maybe sort out with the players. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it's it's. I always find it find it fascinating. Um, I'm a manager of a soccer club myself, and then picking a captain was always a big thing for me. Now, obviously, at an intercounty level, it's a it's a step above. Once again, we're only in the second division of soccer, but on top of that responsibility, you're also studying as well. Because as we mentioned, at the age of just 21, you've been named captain. So how are, how are you going to manage those two things? Obviously, managing as a, as a player is hard enough, and now being named the captain you know there's going to be a lot of onus on you for various different things to um to take part in and uh, to keep an uptake such as radio interviews you know so how how are you going to manage your studies with uh, the commitment to the Carlo team especially as a captain um yeah well I suppose originally I was a little bit apprehensive to take the role because I am just finishing my final year at the moment um but as things worked out I'd say by the time um we're back on the pitch. It could be um, finish my degree, so um, <laughs> I'll have enough time to um, do all the extra bits that are involved with being captain. Um, but um, I do think the management team are quite understanding in that way, and um, they have always facilitated that people do have other commitments, and um, they allow for that. So. Um, Hopefully there won't be any issues in that way. Well, the the commitment that you're undertaking is is law and uh, I believe social studies. Now, law is something that I've studied as well that I've kind of put behind me, but it, because it's just so time consuming, I think the, the I, I was it's but must be about ten years at this stage now when I was in college and I, I got I finished my degree. But the only thing that I remember is Rylands and Fletcher from Tort Law. That was just my favorite <laughs> favorite case ever, and that's the only thing I remember. Well, it's a lot to take in uh, in, in terms of uh, of law, but I. I I'm delighted to hear that you seem to be up for the challenge and that there seems to be a drive and a passion within that team to get promotion and, of course, then to go on to the Junior All-Ireland. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I suppose um, we're all about raising the profile of ladies' football at the same time as, um, while simultaneously um, performing on the pitch. Um, it is... Yeah, it, it can be challenging at times, but um, I suppose, um, yeah. Well, raising the profile of, of of ladies football, the LGFA are doing a very good job of it. They have the Learn to Lead program. Do you, do you, can you explain to our listeners what that is? Um, yeah, I think it's the second year that the LGFA have um, run this initiative. Um, so I applied for it back in December, and basically just the aim of the program is to kind of facilitate... Um, getting various individuals involved and um, equipping them with the necessary skills to promote um, ladies' football from kind of a variety of different perspectives. Like there's a PR strand and then an officiating strand. So the idea would be to get more um, women referees involved. Um, I suppose we've seen that Marion Hayden and Pamela, um, Pamela Hayden have both become quite prominent referees in Carlo um, in the last few years and it's great to see that women are um, in those roles more and more um, so that's kind of a part of it I suppose yeah 
Big Billy Callan Chairman Dave O'Neill joined us to discuss the GAA's decision to move forward with a split inter-county and club season from 2022 onwards. The motion was passed at GAA Congress last month, allowing for the inter-county season to be completed before the club campaign will commence. The new rule means that there will be a clear time frame for both club and inter-county competitions. Joined on the line from Greg Bally Callan, Mr. Dave O'Neill. Dave, how has times been treating you, sir? Long time no talk. Not too bad, Shane. Like anybody, it's, uh, I suppose it's quiet, you know what I mean? There's not a lot going on for anybody. You know, I, I rang somebody the other night and I said to him, uh, any news? And he said, no, where will I get it? It's <laughs> a bit like that at the moment. It's a bit groundhog day for everybody. But look, it is what it is. And, you know, we just have to tell you, I suppose when you think that this day, you know, on Friday we, you know, there was twelve months ago on Friday the schools closed. So, look, it's been a, it's been a tough, it's been a long year, but like we're still in a better place than we were twelve months ago. And you know, so there's more than light at the end of the tunnel. I think there's a lot of hope and a lot of anticipation. Um, as to you know, when when things open up again, but look. We have to take the positive. You know, we have to take the positive. It's been a very, very tough year. But we got through it. And I, I think this year is going to be a lot better if we just maybe show a bit of patience at the moment. It's not, it's not going to ha- It never happens as quickly as we want it to happen when we get out of lockdown. But at the same time, I think it's kind of imperative this time when we finally do come out of a lockdown. This, you know, to maybe with the help of God, it's the last big lockdown. So it's going to take a while. I think you're going to be down for the month of March and April. But he's hoping that May will bring a better weather and you know a better atmosphere around the place so yeah like everybody it's not easy but I suppose we just got to get on with it really certainly do um, when we were talking during the summer there was a big uh, talking point around club v county and you're you know you're very staunchly in your beliefs of uh, club coming before county everyone that we've talked to that played throughout the season last year whether it be the likes of Grace Walsh or just anybody that we've we've spoken to over the past few weeks have all been in massive support of uh, the club before county now what do you make of the GEA's decision to finally implement a split inter-county and club season it must be um, for, for a big club man like yourself out with Greg Bally Callan it must be a good bit of news to come through during the pandemic, albeit it mightn't have happened had the pandemic not happened. Well, look, I suppose it's like everything. Maybe an awful lot of our lives and things we do in our lives will change uh, post-COVID, even from a personal point of view. I suppose we all found the value of family and community. You know, in lockdown, there wasn't, you know, you couldn't go more than two, five kilometres. So, you know, you got to know your neighbours better in your own immediate area and everybody was out walking and just taking a bit of relaxation and a bit of time. So our lives will change post-COVID and thank God that the whole situation with club players, um, because as I've said for the last three years, that 100% of players are club players. Everybody's a club player. It's just less than 1% of players, either Kmogi or Hullers, will, you know, will be lucky enough to, get, to make that step up to inter-county. So... Unfortunately, we saw a system there which came in back in 2017, which saw the club player being, you know, busy for the month of February, March and April and then idle until maybe August. So that situation couldn't continue. So, look, there's a positive out of COVID. Uh, the club scene, you know, is now back. As, you know, like I'm somewhat of a traditionalist, but it was never going to be the option in that we could run both in parallel that you could interchange club with county as as was done in the past. 
But I think the difficulty there was always going to be the dual counties where I suppose football and hurling were kind of, uh, you know, kind of equal or maybe close to being equal in counties. And that was never going to be possible. So really and truly, we finally have come to the stage where we've, I think we found it, that we stumbled into it or it happened. But look, it's happened. So we take the positive out of that. Um, we know of a situation where the club player again has a season to aim for. You know, there's no such thing. Two pre-seasons in the past, we had a pre-season beginning in February, and we had another pre-season beginning in July, and that was just not sustainable. It wasn't fair to the majority of players. And look, it was a decision that was taken. It was the wrong decision. But now we see ourselves that the, I believe, the only workable solution, and I think it's been widely, widely, you know. Accepted, and I think it's the way forward. And it does, does you know, there's there's consistency and there's there's definite times. And you know, players can plan, clubs can plan, managers can plan, you know, even supporters can plan. And you know, I, I do think that it will refocus. You know, what happens this year, we don't know yet. I mean, 2021 has a big question mark as to look when we do get back out there, what final format things will take, but. Look, we got a we got a season last year. We got to see some club hurling. You know, the thing was somewhat truncated. We saw we saw intercounty hurling that was truncated as well. But we still got two seasons, and that was an amazing. I didn't get the time it could happen, and I think it's great credit to everybody, clubs and indeed counties, that it did happen. And I think we'll see maybe something similar this year. Maybe something that will run over a longer period. But you just have to at the moment. You know, grit your teeth, wait for the time to be right, and let's see when we all get back out there. But you know, at the end of the day, there's there's certainty now for club for all players, and there's certainty for clubs. And you can plan. There's the financial cost in running a club and managers. You know, being there for nine months. I don't know. Would that be the way forward? Maybe it's a six month period that a manager and a and a coach can be with players and in the meantime they'll do enough they'll have to do enough about work on their own and strength and conditioning and maybe some ball work themselves so it, look it's, 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 it's wonderful it's great that it's happened and I think it's just onward and upward now and let's embrace it and let's run with it and you know this year we just have to wait and see what happens but you know for the help of God from 2022 on this will become the norm and I think it'll be well received and I do believe it'll be it's workable and it's 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 the best possible option. We've it doesn't matter it doesn't bother me where, how we've arrived at this situation. It's that we have. The journey is well, you know, we're at the end of the, the line now and we found the solution and it's the way forward and I think it's it's great to see it. It's absolutely great to see it. When you're mentioning the certainty that the clubs have, is there any worries now that the GA has free reign once again and do you think the CPA should have disbanded as quick as as it has? Um, I was a little surprised at that, um, but at the same time, you know, they did say they wanted um, equal parity and, you know, a consideration that the club game was the backbone of the organisation and it was vital for the organisation. They seem to have down tools, but they've said in such a way, look, we've achieved what we set out to achieve and, you know, let's wait and see. So, like, yeah. I mean, the, with the help of God, there's no need. But I think there's an acceptance now, that, you know, that that the, that the club player 
is a vital like clubs are the lifeblood of the, of the GA. You know, we we see them. the GA ran down Crow Park ran down a rabbit hole with the with this um, um, players window club window in April and then everything held up until August and the All Islands were over. So look, we're in a situation now where you know they're probably just they haven't gone away. They just don't see the need to be as active as they were in the past and you know with the help of God you know if things go right we, we don't need them we don't need them to come back if, if, if this thing works then fine it's like everything uh, if we don't need them we, it'll be a success and I do believe it will be a success so yeah no 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 let's, let's take the positive I think let everybody embrace it let's give it, a, give it a chance and I do believe at the end of the day uh, it is the only feasible option. So therefore, I think we'll all make it work. But I think it will change things in Kilkenny as well, that in the past, um, our season, we'll say the league would have started in one time May and then it came back to April. And there was that lull when we had the competition, the Bone Cup, the Elwood Cup, without county players. I think actually they'll change. They'll become your pre-season. I mean, you're going to see Bone Cup matches, Elwood Cup matches, you're going to see those take place in May, June, and July. And, you know, in the past, you might have 100 people who won them games. Uh, I think in the future, the, that's the only show in town. And I think that competition will be revitalized. Those competitions, rather, will be revitalized and they'll become the major focus for clubs in the early part of the summer. Uh, if they've led traveling around the countryside looking for challenge matches. And I think they'll be, you know, the, those competitions will be a major help to, to, all, to all clubs. And I think they'll become very competitive as well. In the past, they hadn't been. But I think now, I think it'll change. I do think it'll change. And I think if we have the all-county leagues, um, sorry, the, the the regional leagues, the Borough Cup, the Elwood Cup, if we have those in the early part of the summer, that's the opportunity for players, you know, to, to get out there, get games under their belt. And there'll be more than just channel matches. There'll be a bit more competition in them. So, you know, this will work. I do believe, I think there's a general acceptance out there from people that this new split season will work and we'll just ride out this year as best we can and then really kick into gear, I think, in 2022 when we get a full season and we'll get to see exactly you know, how, how beneficial it is to our players. Now, when we were talking to John Mulhall in the Clash Act podcast, they, they, obviously the, the news of the CPA came up, but he kind of seemed to think that they kind of got out of dodge due to the wage cover issue that is has been brought to attention. And he thinks this is going to become a big issue now over the next while, particularly in regards to self-employed players. What's your take on that? It's a disaster. An absolute and utter disaster. It's a, it's, it's, okay, let's, let's look at the history of it. Um, in fairness to Kilkenny County Board uh, at convention on numerous occasions over the last six, seven, eight years, I'm not going to put a time limit, but on numerous occasions over the last number of years, it was brought up at convention that the, the it's, what happens is clubs pay, uh, we still call insurance. We pay insurance for all players. We collect it in their membership and we pay it to Crow Park. It's not actually an insurance company. It's a fund. Now, unfortunately, uh, this fund was under that. This part of money was underfunded and has been for a long number of years. It was being subsidised because of the growing numbers of people attending games and the amount of inter-county games that were there. They were actually peeling off maybe a million 
up to a million and a half and maybe two million some years to actually subsidize the fund. So fundamentally there was a there, there was a structural flaw there, but there was a get out of jail clause because okay, the money was coming in from the intercounty matches and I suppose it was something it's as if you'd say a euro out of every ticket that was taken in at an intercounty match during the year went back into that fund. Uh unfortunately we saw what happened last year and we well, we don't know yet what's going to happen this year, but attendance at inter-county games is going to be, if not very, very small, maybe none at all. So there is, this is a fundamental issue. Um, and I wouldn't stand back and say that Crow Park was totally wrong. But as clubs, we weren't queuing up to pay extra fees. But, you know, there has to be an acceptance going forward that this fund will have to be re-looked at and the structure of it. But in the immediate time, this is we, that's something for down the line. There is a solution to this problem this year. Um, I know from talking to, within our own club, and from talking to people in clubs in every county that you get talking to people, this year, 2021, prior to this insurance issue, I would have said could have been one of the highest levels of participation ever by players in the GA. I can see myself here eight or ten guys, we talk about losing players from minor, maybe to, as it, well, from 17 now to 20. Years ago, we say 18 to 21. But unfortunately, a lot of players, they, you know, get leave, the, leave clubs, leave the game through different reasons. I mean, we have 10 or 12 guys that in the last 12 months have put their hand up to say, cheers, I'd love to go back. And they're all back and they're doing a bit and they're engaging with the club again. So, you know, we, out here, we haven't had a third team in, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years uh, with the volume of chaps and maybe all, some older players that wanted to come back. Um, this, I, like, it would have been our largest group to register, and I'd say that's been mirrored around the countryside. But unfortunately, now, that's all thrown in doubt because because of the lack of funding, they, they've taken away the, the, the protection for loss of wages. Um, but there's two solutions to this. I mean, if, if there's a two million deficit, that basically transfers, if you do a, a, a calculation of 2,200 clubs in the organisation, that's basically a charge of a 1,000 euros to every club. Now, either I would be recommending to clubs that I'd much rather us find that 1,000 euros than risk players being out of work and having no safety net. I think the danger there is if one player's out of work for six months, there's a cost of almost €8,000. If you have two injuries in a year, that's 16000 And at a time where it's very, very difficult to raise money to run a club, I'd much rather find €1,000 now and ensure that we get a maximum number of players on the field when we come back, whenever we come back, to play as many games as possible. Because at the end of the day, you know, the organisation was founded for to promote the playing of games and participation. We can put a value on insurance. We can put a cost factor on insurance. We can't put a cost factor on participation because that's priceless. And there is another scenario which has come to pass that each club in Ireland is entitled to a refund for their insurance from last year because of public liability, the fact that our facilities were closed for three or four months uh, I know our club is entitled to a rebate of €2,000. Now, it's the old story, but you've never had, you know, you never miss. I mean, that money will not go into anybody's account. You just won't pay as much insurance this year. If 
Croke Park was to just even keep that money. Um, okay, we won't get our 2,000 euros back, but at the same time, I'd rather they kept at least 1,000 of that money and ensure that all our players can get back out on the field. There's, it's, we must understand how this situation has come to pass. This fund, this, this pot of money was underfunded. That funding is now gone. But I think if we were all willing, as clubs all over Ireland, to shoulder the responsibility and a bit more expense to absolutely ensure if ever there was a year, like we're going to be, by the time we get back on the field, you know, we'll have been maybe 14, 15 months into a, a COVID pandemic. If ever there was a year, we need to get bodies, players back out in the field. This is the year. And I think there's a ready-made solution for this if everybody is willing to to work together as an organisation. And the danger is players won't return because of the doubt. And even if they, and even if they do, and a player incurs an injury, you and I know that the GA is a totally community-based organisation. There's no club in Ireland going to see any player um, at a loss of wages. And we'll end up having to fund that. And we'll end up having to raise the money to fund it. I'd rather find a solution to raise €1,000 and every club in Ireland to do that to ensure the levels of participation, which I believe we'll have this year, which I believe also will be unprecedented. So, you know, it's an issue. But I think there's a ready-made solution. Yeah, in terms of in, in terms of participation, John Mulhall brought up some great points on the Clash Act podcast. Um, just moving on because uh, we have an ad break to take. But um, in regards to the Clash Act podcast, we recently had a man that you're going to become very accustomed with, former Galway Senior Hurling All-Star winner, new Greg Ballycallan, Hurling boss Eugene Clunan on the podcast. He credited the likes of yourself and Adrian Ronnie Run for being, uh, <laughs> being one of the main people to convince him to make that long, arduous journey down from Galway to out to Greg Bally Callan but uh, yeah it's uh, exciting times for the club it is um, there's, uh, there's a lot of things in your life you might want to do and there's some things in your life you might you know never think they'll do but uh, you know when one thinks of the history um, you know it was Eugene scored that day of goal back in uh, <laughs> 2001 in the club of Ireland and you know and from the time we started talking to him uh, about coming down to train us, we you know we just kept it as quiet as we could. We wanted to, we had spoken to a few people uh, tentatively, um, I won't lie, and one or two people had said maybe you know leave it leave it settled for a while. We'll talk again at Christmas. But when Eugene's name was thrown into the past and he looked to meet us, we were enthusiastic about doing it. So we're blessed here in the club that we have a, an adult coaching committee that looks after you know finding managers for all our teams, all our adult teams and. You know, we spoke, we communicated at all times. Nobody goes off on a solo run. And we spoke to the lads and said, look, there's a meeting organised. We're going to have to do it behind closed doors. And we'll get back to you. And, you know, from that time on, the process just, you know, took a life of its own. And there was a, a meeting. I think the first night was about three and a quarter hours. And then I said about three and a quarter hours passed quickly in my life to doors because it, it seemed like a half hour. <laughs> but, um but, you know, at the end of the day, he's come on side and, you know, his, his, his enthusiasm and he's met people in the club and he's passed the litmus test with so many stalwarts, the likes of Jack Ronan and people like that. So fierce impressed with him. And, look, he's got a great passion and, you know, there is a, a massive history with, with, within the club. And about a week after he finally committed, I, he sent me a message one night and I sent him back a WhatsApp. 
And as I just pressed send on the WhatsApp, I just looked at my phone and I said, well, that's one thing I've never done in my life, is in Eugene Clown, the WhatsApp. But, uh, <laughs> it's strange, it's strange what can happen. And look, there's massive, massive anticipation of his arrival now. And, you know, we're really looking forward to it. And, we, you know, we talk every week. And, you know, Eugene's very philosophical about what's going to happen this year. It's kind of a, look, we'll wait and see. But, as he said, I don't care when I'm back, once I'm back. So, and I think, uh, you know, that's going to brush off for the players as well. And, ah, look, it's, 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 it's a great story. And, um, you know, it's something that everybody's engaged in now. And we had a committee meeting to, to ratify him. And it was a, an interesting meeting. And when I announced his name, there was a speech <laughs> from the call. And I don't know who actually made it, but there was silence. And I looked at all the faces and, after a five-minute conversation, just put to a vote, and it was unanimous. As one man said, uh, he was cheeky, and he was never afraid to give it a go, and maybe he'll, you know, that'll work well for our players. So, you know, he'll bring a lot to the party, and he's, he's, he's done it all in the game. He's won so much, and he's had some great success as a coach at underage, and inter-county level, came very close with Galway to winning All-Ireland, and uh, he's, 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 a, he's different than most of them, really. The Adolescent Girls Get Active research report was undertaken by Sport Ireland recently. The report found that not many adolescent girls label themselves as not sporty and looked at how to grow participation amongst teenage girls in sport. Joining us on Scoreline to discuss this was Dr Una May, Sport Ireland Director of Participation and Ethics. Time for our next interview and it's with Dr Una May, Sport Ireland Director of Participation and Ethics. Now the Adolescence Girls Get Active Research report was undertaken by Sport Ireland recently. The report found that many adolescent girls labelled themselves as not sporty and looked at how to grow participation amongst teenage girls in sports. As I said, uh, joining me on the line now is Dr Una May. Una, first of all, thank you very much for taking our call and secondly, I suppose the first question to ask is what are the key findings of this report from Sport Ireland? Well, firstly, thank you for inviting me on. Um, and I suppose the key findings for us are, uh, I suppose, interestingly, I suppose we we had we had looked at this report from a number of different angles. We were trying to find out a little bit more about if it's at all possible to find out what goes on in teenage girls' lives. At more point, probably what goes on in their head, um, so that we could understand a little bit better why we have such low numbers of girls participating in sport. Um, we have huge dropouts from sport amongst teenage girls from when they leave primary school to when they go to secondary school, the numbers plummet. And we already had low enough numbers at primary level anyway. So from our point of view, we're trying to ensure that we get everybody in Ireland active and we see the teenage girls as a group that are very inactive and our challenge was to find out how we could what we could do to, to, to improve things for them. So we looked at their lives, what what's important in their lives. We looked at the context, what were the kind of things that, that matter most to them. And then we looked at what were the reasons maybe why they perceived as the reasons they didn't particip- don't participate in sport. And at the end of it all, we created a number of principles for success, which we will share, we are sharing, with national governing bodies and local sports partnerships so that they can organise programmes and initiatives to encourage teenage girls to be more active as long as they take into consideration these principles. We hope that it will make these programmes more successful. 
Now, in, in regards to when you're talking about the, the, the teenage years, 13 to 15 category is obviously very um, a, a crucial age in the young development of anybody looking to participate in sport. Uh, what have you found is the reason that girls are dropping off sport at this age? We know from our own local perspective, or I suppose a national perspective, when it came to the minor championships being cancelled this year and a lot of girls, uh, a, a lot of people that were involved in the minor setup, particularly in Kilkenny, were lamenting the fact that that happened because it is classified as a crucial age to keep participation going in the sport and it w- not ideal at all to be able to cancel something like that but is there other reasons then as I suppose we can say the pandemic maybe will have repercussions going forward but what were the reasons that you found for dropping off a sport at this age and what can be done well, to reverse yeah, that no, trend? Was, uh, like but sadly enough, one of the, the sort of more sort of significant factors that seem to, to be a barrier to them is their sense that they're not good enough. And that's something we really have to consider. They've had often maybe had experiences of limited experience in a small number of sports. And if they're not successful or, or don't feel that they're good enough at that sport, then they rule themselves out of sport altogether and they label themselves as non-sporty just because they weren't good at the sports that were offered them. And when we're giving them such a small, limited range of options, then they don't consider these other options available to them and they don't even consider them as a sport they, they're, in their head they're not sporty so they turn to other activities and other ways to pass their time so we need to get over that first hurdle of, of helping them to see what the options are and you know look help them to find what they're looking for they they identify things they want in sport they also said this sense that they didn't belong in sport they see the ones who are good at sport and they feel they're not part of that they're not good enough to be part of that and therefore they kind of they, they, they distance themselves and you know they have this perception that maybe in some cases maybe the coaches favour the better players and you know therefore the, you know so all these things can alienate them and put them you know into a category where they feel they don't belong and they, they don't see the fun they feel there's not enough fun in sport and this is a challenge we have because because we have so few girls in sport those who are good want to get better and that's absolutely to be commended and encouraged but if they aren't I suppose at the same level of skill and the team is depending on them they can they can find that as a very significant pressure and they, the fun is taken out of it in that case then they realize they feel that they're letting people down they, they they don't want to be part of a situation like that so they pull out and i think as well they they want to try new things you know they, they strive they, they they look for adventure and excitement in their lives they're teenagers they're starting to kind of become more independent and they're looking for something interesting in their lives and we're not offering them those, or at least not visibly enough. We have we, Sport Ireland funds over 50 governing bodies of sport, so, but these girls are not getting exposed to most of those and we need to find ways to ensure that they get the adventure and excitement and fun they want out of it. Um, and, and I suppose we have to be careful as well that we don't put too much pressure on them about it being good for them and good for their health. We need to show them the fun things about being part of sport, not just making them feel guilty if they don't do sport because they feel they're, you know, they're, they're putting themselves at risk of not being healthy. So there's there's a lot in this report. There's an awful lot in it. Um, so it, it, it delves, as I said, into, to some extent into how their, their minds work and also and what we can do to help to, to kind of encourage them to be more active. Yeah, that's very interesting. When you like, I've I've never really thought about it myself in terms of you know I wasn't the most accomplished player in soccer or rugby or anything like that. That, but due to participation numbers, there was a whole plethora of teams that I could participate in. A, B, C team. I never dropped that's down to the D exactly. team, thankfully. So <laughs> yeah, no, no, but that's exactly the limitation because there's so few of them. If they're not good enough for the first team, then 
there's nowhere else for them, so they drop out. So what we need to do is not necessarily have an issue. We don't have an issue. We're, we're very pleased that there are girls who love, and the, the ones at the sporty end of the spectrum who love being competitive and who love those sports. But we need to find alternatives for the girls who, who don't quite make it at that level until we at least have enough girls participating where we do have an A, B and C team. And is it individual sports or team sports then, or is it all-encompassing that, that the report looks at? No, it, it encompasses everything. Um, friendships are very, very important for teenage girls, as they are for many young people. I think for most young people, friendships is a key part of their lives. And it's, um, I suppose, it's one of the, the, the yeah, what we call the anchors in their lives is their support network, and that's mostly around their friends. Um, what we, we do think, they, they, they probably are drawn towards individual sports because they maybe have had a poor, I suppose, experience of a team sport where they feel they weren't good enough and then they were drawn towards individual sports. But if we're not careful with the individual sports, we have to make sure that when they're doing individual sports that they still have opportunities to do those sports with their friends. So it doesn't have to be a team sport or it doesn't have to be an individual sport, but they do need the opportunities always to be with their friends and they need to have the ability to be, to be able to be social um, and to chill out with their friends, chat and enjoy themselves. And, you know, we've also, we also have to look at things like, you know, how we, we tap into their world. They're, they're, they live in a digital world and, you know, we have to accept that and acknowledge it and maybe look at the kind of, you know, influences in their lives are now categorised officially as influencers and we need to find the right kind of influencers and we need to look at role models and what kind of role models we produce. So, whilst they're inspired by, you know, elite athletes, they really are actually more inspired by role models who are a little bit more sort of, they, they can empathise with more, who maybe have shared their own kind of fitness journey and, and maybe empathise with their anxieties and that sort of thing. So there, there, there's a lot to this and a lot of complex elements to it that we have to take into consideration. So by extension of having role models then, is there a focus on uh, female coaches getting more involved in the game? Are, like if, if girls are brought up in an environment where only, say, men are the coaches, do they feel disenfranchised? And does that help, by extension, cement a feeling that sport is only for men? Or, or like, it, Does that kind of stuff get looked at in the report? This, this report in particular doesn't really look at that element, but it's something, so Sport Ireland has just, we've just actually finished off on a whole week of women in sport starting out, leading out with the International Women's Day, but we had a, a whole day dedicated to leadership and um, governance in sport and, and the role women have to play or should be playing in those areas. And then on Tuesday we talked about participation levels and that was when we launched this report. Um, on Thursday we looked at the importance of visibility so that they can see what, you know, the the the, the the, the, the campaign that was so successful in recent years, the 20 for 20, was focused on the idea if they can't see it, they can't be it. So we spent Thursday focusing on visibility and what it needs to give them that visibility and that role models, you know, and that sort of, you know, that will inspire them. And on Friday, we looked at coaching and officiating and how important it is not just to have coaches, but also the likes of referees. And we have some really, really strong role models in this area, but we need to be better at ensuring that they get exposed to them. But I think that when you have females who coach females and, and not all females want to necessarily be coached by females but I do think that there's a little bit more I suppose <laughs> empathy in some ways from female coaches potentially but what we do need to do is not just make it that they have to be women coaches but that the, that anyone who coaches has the skills and we have a, a, a coaching 
young girls um, course that we've worked on, a workshop that helps people to identify what it means to actually be a successful coach, whether it's a male or a female coach. So there are so many elements to this and we are tackling every different level to ensure that there's role models, everything from the referee right through to the club chairperson to the national governing body, you know, CEO and president, you know. So we're trying to tackle all the different levels in order to make it a more holistic kind of equal society and sport really and that everyone has equal opportunities and is equally encouraged and equally valued in, in what they do it's a topic that's very close to my heart because I've, I've two sisters they're both twins and they've uh dedicated a lot of their time to, to playing soccer and trying to reach a high level and now I know that two of them have somewhat subsided from uh chasing that dream um, which is which is quite unfortunate and it was unfortunate now that you mentioned that there was a week dedicated to women in sport but last year 2020 was meant to be the year dedicated to looking at women in sport uh, see her be her and obviously curtailed then by the pandemic did <clears throat> initially before the pandemic came in did you notice an upsurge in this was there a huge positive sentiments around that has that somewhat subsided now because of the pandemic or is, do you feel that the no, I think I think it was a campaign I think it was a very visible campaign and people did actually you know I suppose take it into consideration and, and they did support it quite widely what we're trying to do is actually affect change not just from a campaign point of view but actually literally physically make changes so ensure that programs are developed that are appropriately designed and that take into consideration the principles for success that we've identified in the in the report and also that we support we provide we've been providing significant leadership training on Wednesday was a celebration of 100 women volunteers across all sports who took part in a leadership program in the last say nine months or so so what we're trying to do is, is, is tackle the actual physical, potentially physical barriers that exist and not just about the visibility of women in sport and, and the, the, the whole, you know, seeing what, what they can do and, you know, giving them those opportunities. We want to actually physically make changes and we want to actually implement those changes by coaching, by training, by awareness, by campaigns, by you know, opportunities by promoting, encouraging, mentoring, supporting. We want to make changes across the board at all levels of sport participation, right through from young children, right through to people who are involved in leadership roles, be that, as I said, managing, organising, you know, chairing, through to coaching and officiating. Um, you mentioned the eight principles of success. Um, the likes of no judgment, invoke excitement, clear emotional reward, open eyes to what is there, build on existing habits, give girls a voice and a choice, champion what's in it for them, and expand image of what sporty looks like. How do sporting organisations go about maybe implementing these principles? Is the onus on, say, a club uh, at club level? I play with Castle Warren. Is the onus on people for Castle Warren to? taking these principles on board and how how do we go about implementing these principles in an efficient way rather than just to say a token gesture well I, I think it's a good question actually because I think it's a, it's, it's incumbent on any everybody involved in sport to understand better what it is that they're offering and that involves everybody being aware and that's why we've simplified and we've picked up those principles for success and simplified them into one simple kind of infographic. However, just to say we're, we're launching next month what we're calling a hackathon, which is a modern term for a kind of a brainstorming activity to design programs and initiatives and we're inviting people from every walk of life to be part of that. So be that parents, coaches, young people, teachers, 
you name it, to be part of this whole project, looking how we would adopt and, and incorporate those principles in, of success into successful programmes. Now, that's not to say that there aren't governing bodies who actually have been doing some really good work, and there are, you know... The, the, the Gaelic for, for Teens is a good example of one which um, the, the LGFA have been rolling out for, for a number of years now and it's a very successful programme and it reaches out to all the clubs and all the people officials at all different levels. So I think everybody has a role to play here. I think parents, teachers, coaches, clubs, national governing bodies, the likes of sport and local sports partnerships. You know, everything we do, we need to look at these factors. If we want to be appealing to girls, we need to take into consideration these, you know, principles for success that have been identified. And some of them are very simple. Um, and some of them take maybe a little bit more of innovation and a little bit of more of an innovative um, look at our own sports. And maybe people need to be who are involved in sport need to be, I suppose, less concerned about promoting their own sport or activity and more about keeping girls involved. And that may mean, you know, working with others, maybe redesigning the sport to take some of the pressure off. Um, you know, offering multi-sport opportunities. Um, a lot of different innovation taking on board all these things and that can as I said can be right through from you know parents encouraging their their girls to be involved right through to the coaches the clubs and the national governing bodies you know supporting programs and Sport Ireland has been funding you know to the tune of a few million each year um, programs and initiatives to encourage girls in sport and women in sport in general but teenage girls is just part of a subgroup of that but um, you know a lot of the governing bodies have been working on new initiatives we have, we have a number of new kind of leadership programs for teenagers and young adults young women to take on leadership responsibility um, which will then in turn provide the kind of role more realistic um, you know role models that girls need rather than necessarily elite athletes uh, You mentioned the Girls Get Active Hackathon it's uh taking place via Zoom in April, April 16th to the 18th, and then on April the 30th there's a showcase event. How do people register their interest or how do they get involved? Okay, well, the easiest thing is just to go straight to the Sport Ireland website and look up Women in Sport, and they will find all this information, including the report, all the principles for success, and all the details of the hackathon. And really, the more the merrier. We want to get as many programmes and initiatives up there. And we'll identify the, what we feel to be the most successful with the assistance of external help and support. And we'll actually pilot a number of those programmes across the governing bodies, or sorry, more particularly initially across the local sports partnerships. But if we have success, we will evaluate, we'll measure, we'll, we'll review very carefully. And we'll ensure that we, you know, we, we identify the best programmes that are out there. And promote them and encourage them and roll them out across the country if they're successful. Well, Una, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. If anybody wants to listen back, this will be on our Scoreline Extra podcast. We'll have an article up on Scoreline during the week. Uh, Wish you nothing but the best. And of course, we'll be uh, keeping an eye out for the hackathon. Uh, Una, thanks very much. Thanks very much for having me on. Former Kilkenny City player Billy Walsh is our final interview on Scoreline Extra for this edition of the podcast. Shane and Billy covered lots in this fiery discussion on the new League of Ireland season and bringing a League of Ireland team back to Kilkenny. 
switch our attention now to the League of Ireland. The curtain raiser happened yesterday. The President's Cup, Shamrock Rovers versus Dundalk. A great game and a great goal to watch as well uh, in, uh, in going to penalties. Just lots and lots going on in the game. Here to talk to me about the upcoming season and hopefully we'll have a bit of Republic of Ireland national team talk is uh, former Republic of Ireland junior international Mr Billy Walsh. Billy, how are you getting on, sir? Hey Shane, how are things? I'm not too bad, I'm not too bad. I say you're buzzing for the return of the League of Ireland. Yeah, it's great that they're able to get it going again, isn't it? And um, exciting times ahead, hopefully. And uh, in, in these strange times, it's, it's, um, it's a little bit of normality, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, what, what, in terms of normality, now the accessibility of all the games, what are you making of the Watch League of Ireland kind of streaming service that's going on, a very appropriately priced, uh, you'll be able to catch all the games for a, a knockdown price. Uh, was this something that you were you're signing up for yourself or that yeah, you experienced last I, night? Yeah, I think it's terrific. Um, GA did it last year, didn't they, with the club matches, and it worked very, very well. So there's no reason for it not to work well for the League of Ireland. It gives fans a chance to watch their favourite teams and generally people to tune in. And uh, it's just, um, I just feel that, you know, we're going into, <laughs> please God, we're coming out of this virus this year. And, and um, I think there's going to be huge opportunities ahead for for all walks of life, but I think it's a huge opportunity for the League of Ireland and football in general in Ireland to reform completely, I think, and um, leave the Delaney era behind, stop all the in-house bickering and uh, try and create a proper industry. And uh, it's something that I've been on about for a long, long time, and I think the time is now. And um, it's a huge opportunity for football in Ireland, uh, as I said, to create a proper industry. Um, You know, you've got the Brexit thing, you know, with young players not being able to go to England until they're 18 years of age now, it's going to, everything is going to change. Uh, the coaching structure is going to have to be improved in Ireland. And um, I just feel there's huge opportunities. And, and this is a small part of it and, it. and it's great for people to be able to tune in because League of Ireland is, is a wonderful product. It's just not marketed properly, in my opinion. never has been. And uh, it's the poor relation of sport in Ireland. And, and there's some great entertainment that you saw last night, some, some terrific teams. It does feel like they're they're on the cusp of something here, and they're had the government back in. The government support has been recently praised, and uh, the women's national league is getting massive amounts of numbers. They have a, I think it's nearly a hundred and forty percent increase in prize money there. There just there does seem to be a yeah, dawn of I've something. Yeah, I've seen all this before. I've seen all this before, and but they've got to go further. The government and the FEI. I know people will say that oh they bailed them out last year or whatever, but that had to be done. I mean there was no brainer. Uh, you know I mean. I mean, you know, I mean, G- GA is our big thing in Ireland here, and and but there's as many volunteers in football in Ireland, you know, and as many, it's the most popular game in in Ireland, uh, it's the most played game in Ireland, and uh, it has to be bailed out. All the young girls and boys that play football, all the people that volunteer every week, they, those people have to be bailed out. Uh, but I, I'm I'm looking for it to be brought further on here now. It's a huge opportunity. Jonathan Hill now is 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 the CEO now, and he's got some good ideas but it's got to go further and it's got to be government backed and as I said earlier it's a huge opportunity to create a proper industry it's never been a proper industry uh, in Ireland here and um, and as I said with the Brexit thing I could spend an hour talking to you about it but it, there is a huge opportunity there for uh, proper coaching structures to be put in and for the League of Ireland to even go for for me there should be a third tier in the League of Ireland and um, you know because it, it, the game has to be brought forward and this is an opportunity now um, when you're mentioning the third tier, you're looking at the likes of teams being eligible. I know a lot of 
places through their name in the hat to be the other team in the second division. Treaty United will play the League of Ireland now this season in the or sorry in the first division. Um, are you happy now that there's going to be a team representing Limerick and not yeah, another team massive. representing Dublin? Yeah, huge, massive. I mean, and <laughs> I don't know whether I've spoken to you this, about this before. Certainly did with Brendan saying that that you know. In my day, it, was, it, it, it used to be called the Dublin District League of Ireland. You know, I mean, there's too many clubs <laughs> in Dublin. It's, it's, uh, well, it is, and, and there's one of the reasons, you know, and, and the surrounding areas. Okay, Dundalk brought a huge hotbed, Bray, but Kildare County came into the League of Ireland, and it was to the detriment of Kilkenny City. You know, um, the fact that there was no League of Ireland club in Limerick is, is, is disgraceful. It's absolutely disgraceful, and I've always said it that all the top counties should be represented in the League of Ireland, and. Uh, but it was never, it was never, it, it was always day to day. There needs to be a plan, a 10-year plan put in place for, for a And I would be in favour of a third tier. And people might say that's mad, but I think that, that we've got to, to stop the parochialism, get on with it and, and, uh, and create proper industry in Ireland. Um, when you're looking at the likes of Carlo and Kilkenny, they certainly seem to be building towards something. Um, and hopefully yeah. a senior team in the Women's National League and in yeah. uh, the Men's League of Ireland. Is that something that you're hopeful for for the future? Yeah, well, I've, I've, I've been in talks with people and it is, it is, um, it is something that's in the pipeline. Uh, but again, it, 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 can't, it needs a 10-year plan. Anyone who's ever asked me over the years, and it was probably failing it's funny I did an interview with Michael Sharkey of RTE there a few weeks ago uh, with Jimmy Raskin and Donna Cantwell just about you know League of Ireland clubs that have gone out of business but it, for me it was always a big thing at the Kilkenny it was never a real 10 year footballing plan uh, okay Kilkenny City survived from day to day and fundraising and stuff like that as a footballing plan it was never there and um and I'm sure I've spoken to people with Carlo Kilkenny that if, they, if they're serious about it, it's got to be a 10-year plan. Not a three-year plan, not a five-year plan. 10-year plan. And that 10 years goes very quickly, I can assure you, What makes up that 10-year plan then? The, where, where's, the, where's the starting well, point? Well, if, if, you, if you go back to... If you go back to Kilkenny City, Emsa went into the League of Ireland, then Kilkenny City became Kilkenny City in 1989... Uh, we played Cove Ramblers in our first match out in Buckley Park. I remember it very, very well. And then we got to the Cup semi-final the following year under Joel McGrath. And Joel had a plan to put together, but he went to be the technical director of the FAI. And then there was a series of managers afterwards until Alfie came. That that there was, there was it was year to year. The likes of Noel Sinnott, John Cleary, fellas who were just really journeymen passing through, didn't really have any really care for Kilkenny City. There was never a plan to put in play, a footballing plan. When you think of all the great players that that have come through uh, football in Kilkenny that couldn't play football in Kilkenny, you know, it's, it's, it's um, you've got to start with the schools. It's as simple as that. You've got to, and, and a proper coaching structure, Shane. It comes down to developing proper footballers. And, uh, and you know you, you have to be careful. And I know I, I, I remember starting the first soccer school for Evergreen back in the mid nineties, and you know Jimmy Johan, Gavin Hughes, and Joey Mulcahy, young lads like that that came through those summer camps. You know, went on to have uh, decent careers. And um, but there was never a real concerted effort. You know, you'd, you'd have all these RDOs and fellas coming in that. You know, was there really a proper, proper coaching plan? I remember having a stand-up argument with Brian Carroll over years ago. You know that, that where is the where is the proper coaching structures? They're not there. 
And, and that's not being disrespectful to the people who are doing wonderful jobs. And they are wonderful jobs. People, you know, you go out to Thomastown, Colm, or Evergreen, Freeburg, whoever it is, there's people putting in hours and hours. And I'm not being disrespectful to them. But I'm talking about top-level coaching, developing top-level players. And uh, that that's comes from the FEI and the government. And that's where I'm coming from. And, and you know, you've got to put your plan then together, each county, you know, and, and get over the parochialism, you know, uh, we're going to lose players to League of Ireland. So be it. We've all done that, and, and all the clubs have benefited from it. I know that I benefited everything coming back from Kilkenny City. I'm sure Davy Mulcahy is putting in effort with young lads there now. Mm. Uh, Graham Doyle with free. I can go on and on, Patty Holder. All the lads came back and, and gave something back. But it has to be a concerted effort, and it has to be a joined-up effort, and, and it has to come from the top. When you're talking about coaching, is it a price issue that to... Uh, I know we have the kickstarts very appropriately priced, but then it starts getting expensive after that, does it not? Of course it does. Of course it does. And this is where I'm coming from. This is where it has to be government-backed. Uh, it just can't be just something that's pulled out of a hat. And the kickstart is great. Look, don't get me wrong. There's, there's, there's terrific. Look, at the Emerging Talent Programme is terrific. Uh, you know, they're doing a brilliant job there under under the radar, really. But it, it's, it's, you know, how many people know about the Emerging Talent Programme in Ireland? Very, very few. I guarantee if you walk down High Street and meet a few people when this thing settles, they won't even know what that is. You know, and... Um, yeah, but I, personally, from a Kilkenny point of view, that's all I'm interested in is, is you know, developing footballers in Kilkenny, boys and girls that can go and play at a higher level. And uh, obviously then you'll have the underneath part, which is which is which has always been there. But you've got to develop top, top class players. Um we would be hoping to see that in a few years if, if some type of plan is brought in to see another Kilkenny representative in on the Irish national team. Uh, with Shawnee yeah, McGuire well, obviously uh, being the last. But uh, well, Shawnee has been, yeah, and, 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 and that's brilliant. But we need more, you know, and there's always been, there's always been brilliant football. Dory Butler is writing a history of, of Kilkenny football at the moment and yeah. I get text messages and phone calls off from, you know, and there's always been brilliant footballers in Kilkenny. Jimmy Donnelly, my two brothers. I mean, you know, Davey Mull, Michael Reddy. They've been brilliant. If I go back to Party Lannan, I can go back further, you know, and, and hopefully the history of this will show. Because sometimes, uh, because we come from a GA, and God, I know it better than anyone, I come from a huge GA background, but soccer is huge in Kilkenny. And, uh, but sometimes it's just been brushed under the carpet. And I'm glad that they're writing a history of it because there have been some brilliant, brilliant footballers and who've had brilliant achievements. Go back to Mikey Brennan back in the 30s. You know, and, and they've those, that should be celebrated and, and brought forward. And uh, I, think, I think that now is the time. I really do believe that, yeah. I think now is the time for a proper industry to be created. Uh, I know Pat Dolan has been harping on about it for years, and I agree with Pat. There's never been a proper industry here, and uh, that you would be proud of. But the Brexit thing is is, is a big thing, Shane. It's 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 uh, it's a game changer. I know there's ways around it. I know the Preston Cork City thing. You know that they, they can warehouse players out to Europe, and, and that's happening as we speak, uh, and then bring them back into the English game. But but there is now a proper chance to create proper players in the proper industry. Yeah, I did an article on it there about two years ago and it was before the Brexit came in, kind of looking at what effect this is going to have on Irish soccer. Are you going to see the investment coming in or where are you going to start seeing, as you said, lads been farmed out to Europe, but then if they're going out to Europe, they're learning a different style of football. Is that going to be a benefit to Irish soccer going forward then as well? Because you see with English lads going over to Germany, we said Jaden Sancho or whatever, they're they're learning different styles of football. They're not being thrown into the second division in, in England and trying to play the yeah. trade, you know? 
yeah, but there's there, there, there's now an opportunity for them to stay here. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's what I'm saying. Is it that's that you know why do they have to go to Europe? Mm. You know that's why why should we be a, se- a second class citizen? Why can't we put in structures and as I say a proper industry that can develop our own players and and let them look at Jack Byrne gone to Cyprus from from a brilliant football club Shamrock Rovers. Yeah, you know, you know, and Rovers offered them as big a money as they possibly could but you know we need to change that culture we need to change that mentality more than anything but it has to come from the top Shane. there's no it can't be done from, from the bottom up you know you don't build a house you don't build a house from the top down and, and unfortunately for football in Ireland it's always been the case you'll, you'll have your, your you know days in the sun every 10-15 years but it, 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 there has to be a better effort put in now you know and, and uh, I think it's an exciting time I think it's a time that that it's a real time for reform and I think that you know it has to be driven forward must be driven forward now Is that where the woes of the national team is coming from then? Sorry Shane? Is that where the woes of the national team is coming from then? The lack of support for years? Well if you look at if you look I'm talking about coaching you look at our top job now and and we have one of our own Stephen Kenny I remember coming across Stephen in the mid 90s when he was under 21 coach first time I met Stephen ever been uh, an under-21 team in the League of Ireland and I came across this young hungry coach from St. Pat's and and look what he's he's uh, taken his career to you know and and that should be the norm that should be that should be the norm you know and uh, that's why I'm I'm really hopeful that that, uh, he's going to be successful but um, you know but his hands are tied you know, the quality of player is just not there at the moment. And uh, and the ones and that he does have, he's losing by the wayside with injuries and, uh, yeah, you know, McGoldrick retiring. Stephen won't lament on that. He knows he knows what he's doing. I just hope he's given the time. That's, that's the problem, you know, and uh, that they don't get trigger-happy because, um, as I said to you before, Shane, this, this is a two-campaign job and he needs to be given time on that. But obviously he's had rotten luck, but... You know, it's it's professional sport. You, you you're you're uh, hard into that, and uh, you know he's been unlucky. I mean, goal goalkeeping problem now for the the next couple of games, and uh, Ida is uh, doubtful, and Connolly is doubtful. But there's other signs, good signs, and you have to look. And as a manager, you always have to look at the positive. You know, a young Daryl Shea is doing well at West Brom. It looked like he was going to be off to a ropey start, taking off after 23 minutes. But you know, he's starting again today, and uh, he'll. He'll have to have learned something under Sam Allardyce. Kieran Clark is doing well at uh, Newcastle. Um, Connor Huron scored again for Swansea today. He's in he's in the form of his life. You know, so he's got to take the positives. And and you know, when you look at the Liverpool situation, you know, a professional sport, any sports person, uh, confidence is the absolute massive thing. And uh, so, you know, it, it, there is. There is problems for Stephen, but he's got to be—he's got to be looking at the positives, and you know, hopefully, get off to a good start. Yeah, Serbia on the twenty-fourth of March, just over eleven days away. Luxembourg, then, yeah. and then a friendly with Qatar. I'm looking forward to it, uh, Billy. Great talking to you as always. Hopefully, catch up soon as uh, we go through the League of Ireland. Any teams that you're in particularly uh, looking forward to watching this year? Well, I think the St. Pat's um, Rovers match next next Friday night is it? That looks like a uh, cracking start to it, you know, Rovers and the Saints. So uh, it'll kick off. Well, I think, um, of course, Shane Keegan in, in at Dundalk now is a is a big thing, and um, I think it'll be Dundalk and and Rovers again. Uh, I just don't know how that situation is going to work it, it, with Shane and uh, his Italian counterpart. It's a strange setup. Uh, didn't work for Roy Evans and, and Gerard Julia, God rest him, but um, they obviously get on okay and, and uh, 
I hope it works out for Shane there. You know, he's a terrific fella. And, um, but I think Rovers are the team to beat. Uh, Stephen Bradley's done a fantastic job. And Bowles, of course, Keith Long, you know, real hero of, of, of the League of Ireland, what he's done there. Um, so it should be an exciting season, Jen, and hopefully it goes off well. And, and uh, hopefully, you know, by the end of the summer, there'll be crowds going into to watch matches again. Fingers crossed. And Shane Keegan he's hoping got. to do well as well with Rath down the Earl. <laughs> so he's, yeah. a, he's, 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 he's multitasking there. He's a busy man. He's a busy <laughs> man, yeah. yeah. Billy, always a pleasure. I'll chat to you soon, sir. Shane, stay safe. <laughs> That's it for Scoreline Extra for this edition of the podcast. You can find more interviews, previous podcasts and all your sporting needs in the KCLR app or online at scoreline.ie. And if you like your sporting podcasts, we've got plenty more on offer, including our GAA podcast, The Clash Act, with recent interviews featuring John Mulhall, Richie Power, Brian Tracy and Owen Larkin. The Football Manager Football Show brings new episodes every Friday as Shane and Ken, that's me by the way, uh, go through the motions in the world of football manager taking virtual football one country at a time as we figure out what's happening in other leagues around the world. And you've got all things MMA discussing the world of mixed martial arts every Wednesday and Thursday online at scoreline.ie. Plus, for rugby fans with the Six Nations, close to wrapping up, we've got The Knock On, a rugby podcast now streaming in the KCLR app, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you do your podcast listening. Until next time, good luck. Good luck.